0: Maura Murray was born on May 4, 1982, in Hanson, Massachusetts. By the age of 21, she was 5'7 and 120 pounds. On February 9, 2004, in Haverhill, New Hampshire, Maura Murray crashed her car on Route 112. There has never been a confirmed sighting of Maura since that night. If you have any information on the whereabouts of Mora Murray, please contact the New Hampshire State Police. This is the Missing Mora Murray Podcast. Mora leaves her dorm at four PM. She goes to an ATM. She withdraws two hundred and eighty dollars. Surveillance footage reportedly shows her alone. And then Mora went to the liquor store. And there had been some debate over what she purchased at the liquor store. Previous reports said she bought the ingredients for a white Russian. However, based on the receipt found in her car after the accident, she purchased a box of red wine, a bottle of Kahlua, and a six-pack of Seagram's, some kind of wine cooler.
1: Of which, according to John Scarinza who was the detective on the case, retired in 2009. His account was she purchased Kahlua wine, a six-pack of Seagram's. The box, parentheses, of wine had splashed all over the car. The bottle of Kahlua was not there. So take from that what you will.
0: Well, she took the bottle of Kahlua, it sounds.
1: The bottle of Kahlua was not there. Maybe she threw it out of the car.
0: Sounds like she took the bottle of Kahlua when she left the car.
1: One could speculate on that.
0: (laughs) I'm not sure what else would have happened. Um, Now, if she was abducted, then, you know, she's probably not trying to take a bottle. Maybe she's trying to use it as a weapon. But assuming she wasn't abducted, she was taking that bottle of Kahlua to drink it. We know that she drank a black Russian a couple nights earlier with her dad and friend Kate at the Amherst Brewing Company, which is Kahlua and Vodka. So she, lo- she loves Kahlua. According to Maura's phone records, Mora checks her voicemail at 4.37 p.m.
1: However, that is not 100% confirmed. We do have somebody who has cleaned up the screenshot of Mora's cell phone records someone in the Netherlands and do you want to go through the uh, the call she made on February ninth? Yeah, I'd love to. At two oh five PM on February ninth, that's when the call to go Stowe was placed for more cell phone.
0: That's Stowe Mountain, the resort in Vermont.
1: At two eighteen PM she called New City, which has been confirmed as her boyfriend Billy's number. So at 218 she calls her boyfriend in New City and then at 437 is voicemail dorm phone. So it's speculated that she called her dorm phone to check messages that were left on that.
0: Yeah, I wonder why she'd be doing that.
1: What is the psychology behind that? Calling your to check your your any messages if you're going away whether you're running away maybe to see if anybody was calling to you know maybe somebody knew what was up with her and they were calling to check in on her maybe it was like a last ditch effort for her to realize that someone cared about her and they were calling to to see if she was okay
0: i could take it the same way that we mentioned that mora had dropped off, a borrow a lab coat, sort of as a closure exactly. kind of thing. Check your voicemails, make sure you don't have any voicemails. Outstanding. Or it could be check your voicemails to find out if there is a message for you for someone who was supposed to uh, aid you in this disappearance.
1: That's something that could very well be. She calls up her, uh, She has, let's say she's waiting on a phone call, you know, she hasn't gotten it on her cell phone, so she calls her dorm phone, to access the voicemail to see if she has a message there that's very interesting i wonder if there was any message on there i'm not sure if that uh there was any message at all on that um, answering service uh, at her dorm but that's an interesting point that she would call up to see if anybody had left a message upon her leaving
0: yeah i mean she could have deleted a message anyway so maybe the cops never even heard what it was if there was a message
1: could you delete it from your cell phone
0: i believe so you can delete it from your cell phone absolutely
1: yeah, if you're able to access, you can access the selections, the yeah. options. Interesting. I don't know if anybody's really looked into that. So at 4:37, that phone call, is that the last time that there's any confirmed sighting of Mora?
0: That's the last thing I have before the accident.
1: What about the gas station?
0: Let's talk about the gas station.
1: Mora's route up to the up to the crash site, she stopped at a gas station before going on to 112. She actually put gas in her car. And a lot of people have said that uh, that could have given somebody the opportunity to put the rag in the tailpipe at the gas station before she left. Or it could have given someone the opportunity to be at the gas station and see this girl who um, was alone with out-of-state license plates uh, to follow her and run her off the road or wait for, you know, put the the rag in the tailpipe and wait for her car to break down right. and, then, and then take her. So her route up to... 112 we last hear from her at 437 there's a cell phone ping at the londonderry tower that may or may not have come or was directed to her cell phone and she stops at a gas station to put gas in the saturn there's talk about speculation about somebody you know this is the whole what if crowd what if somebody was there at this gas station saw a young attractive Female, without a state license plates, puts the rag in the tailpipe, watches her drive away, stays back at a safe distance until her car sputters out and goes off the side of the road and then picks her up and takes her to help but is kidnapping her. So that is speculation. So as far as, like, actually confirming any sightings, it's confirmed that she went and got gas, but it's not confirmed if anybody followed her out of the gas right. station or what happened at that point.
0: Right, but that is the theory of people who tend to believe that she was kidnapped by an opportunistic killer. And and I agree that this is probably where that would have happened if that is what Maura's fate is, that uh, anyone there could have seen her and followed her or potentially put the rag in the tailpipe and followed her and waited for it to stall.
1: I think it's interesting. I think, uh, you know, stranger things in the world have happened, but I think you have to have a lot of bad elements kind of aligning themselves to come together for that. You know, it's like, you know, this girl decides that she's going to go out and blow off some steam or whatever, and happens to fill up gas in an area that happens to have somebody who sees this attractive female and, and, thinks to themselves, hey, I'm gonna you know, I've been wanting to do this, and now the, you know, that dark urge is taking over and I'm gonna see if I can carry this out. Let's throw the rag in the tailpipe, see if this works. Stranger things have definitely happened in the world, but that Mora would have to be the victim of incredible bad luck.
0: I do agree. Now what what chances would you put on that if you were in Vegas or something? What odds would you put of that happening to somebody? I mean, obviously People are on the road as we speak right now and not getting killed by some opportunistic killer. So what are the, is it one in a million? Is it one in five million?
1: I can't even put numbers on that. There's people who like stalk the streets every day. There's an actual statistic out there that, you know, every year of your life, you walk past 25 murderers.
0: Right. I agree that those odds are astronomical. But what are the odds that a 21-year-old nursing student gets away, you know, successfully disappears for 11 years or more?
1: Well, it's a lot more planned.
0: Yeah, – You've got but... a lot more
1: time to think about it and plan it. The, the, the odds that somebody happens upon somebody is way lower than the odds that someone has been planning a, uh, to run away for weeks and maybe got their friends involved in helping them run away.
0: I agree that there are better odds, but this girl's been away for 11 years and she hasn't been seen. She hasn't used her ID or her card. And we're supposed to believe she's still alive?
1: Sure. I don't even think it comes down to odds at that point because you kind of throw odds out the window when you have determined your own fate. You throw odds out the window when you just say, you know, hey, you get together with your friends and you say, I'm going to, I got to get out of here and I need your help to get me out of here. And you, formulate a plan, and then you formulate your after plan after you go missing, how am I going to get a new ID, and how am I going to get a new job, and where am I going to live, and then you, you always look over your shoulder. It's just there's, there's no – you try to eliminate chance from your life at that point if she's doing it right, and if she's still out there, then she's definitely doing it right.
0: So you'd rather believe that a 21-year-old girl got a fake ID, maybe made it to Canada, I mean she would have had to have made it to a different country I think if if she's been alive and working for 11 years. I mean obviously people use fake names but she came up with a a fake social security card. How's a 21-year-old girl do that?
1: Would you need a fake social security card if you were to go to a bar in some small, you know, small city somewhere that doesn't know you? I mean, would you need a social security card if you're an attractive female and you walk in and you say that you need a job? And you just put down any social security number. Honestly, how, how many times would a bar look at the social security number? They just file it away.
0: Yeah, but for that long to uh, you know, she stayed at the same bar that she went, that she's uh, you know applied at eleven years ago. She's still working there at some really small town in Canada.
1: She could be. I mean, she could have worked she, there for a yeah. uh, bartender for like two years, worked her way up to bar manager. Maybe at that point moved on to another you know hospitality industry job.
0: But isn't this person? Wouldn't she have been seen by tons of people
1: at that time? Who's looking for? Her? By the time,
0: well, where her is she now? Then? Would,
1: yeah, but by the time her pictures got out to anybody, who's? It's like, you know, it's two thousand six, two thousand seven. By the time it, you know, the internet blows up to a point where you can't not see her. You know, we we know what she looks like because she's part of she's part of what we do. You know.
0: Yeah, but we know what she looked like in 2004.
1: I didn't know what she looked like in 2004, in 2005, and no. 2006. I'm saying now— I never heard of her until about 2008.
0: I'm saying now we know what she looks like in 2004. We don't know yeah, what she I'm, looks like in 2012 or 2010 or today.
1: Yeah, but if someone came up to me in 2004 or 2005 and applied for a job— I would have no way to know that this was – if she dyed her hair and put glasses on or something. Yeah, but
0: I'm saying a few years later, once you know James Renner's blog gets going, once the Disappeared um, episode airs, a lot of people saw that.
1: And a lot of people could have gotten to know this girl as somebody who's a friend. And if they did see a resemblance and they asked her about it, she could come up with some story about how to keep it quiet and say just don't pay attention to any of
0: this. I just find it hard to believe that she successfully – orchestrated this disappearance um, and got her friends and perhaps some of her family's help in getting away and keeping this all so tight-lipped for 11 years and then she worked at a bar or wherever she worked or works. I find the odds closer than you, I suppose, to she was abducted by an opportunistic killer. Do you know what I mean?
1: I just find it hard to believe that this girl would find herself at the the wrong time, the wrong place when she's going through something because let's look at the fact here that she was leaving. She was She was going somewhere, right? She was mm-hmm. in the car traveling
0: somewhere. Undeniable.
1: And she lied about what she needed to do to get there. She sent emails and told people that a relative had died. So something was being covered up at that point. So – For lack of a better word, she was running from something, whether she was running from an area or something or someone in particular. I find it hard to believe that a local dirtbag, some random person who didn't know this person happened to be in the right place at the right time. She was in the wrong place at the wrong time. She happens to have an accident. They happen to be driving by. They happen to say, there's the girl. They pick her up and then they are so good at what they do, somebody who's not an actual serial killer stalking somebody is so good at what they do, they leave not a single trace that we know of. Mm -hmm. With today's technology, even in 2004, the technology back then, this should never have gone on as long as it has gone on. Mm -hmm. Even if she ran away and got a job and is in Canada or wherever, or if she was abducted, by somebody who happened upon her. It's it's almost beyond anything that we know with the technology we have that she wouldn't have been discovered.
0: Well, I agree both are unlikely, but I think any answer at this point is unlikely.
1: In the time that I've been following this case, I've had so many moments where I think... Something's going to happen. I think that somebody has found her or, you know, oh, that was the, you know, the picture that was put up online that Mora was in this town and look at the picture. Can't you see the resemblance? I've been thinking, you know, that she'll pop up. She'll turn up. Something will happen. And I still think that. I still think that something will happen because there's so much talk about it. And I was thinking to myself the other night that, all of this talk, and we, we talk about the mindset of people who are really into this case. And and are we the type of people that, that are going overboard with it and becoming obsessed with this case? And you know, in a way we are because we don't stop talking about it and we don't stop thinking about it. And there's so much information that it kind of gets lost. But the reason why it's so addicting is because it's so frustrating. You don't want to stop thinking you don't want to you want an answer it stops becoming about somebody it's just you want the answer Mm -hmm. because you put so much time into it at that point it's like you feel you you just feel frustrated there's no answer and then you have the people out there and we know who we're going to be talking about at some point the alden olsons who will will prey on that and then the preying on that makes you want to know more about it. It makes you want to know why he's doing it because it's just becoming darker and and more more of a more of a thriller to you. So, yeah, it's a weird little it's a weird mind game that this this case plays with you because it's there's nothing out there. There's a car that's left in the middle of of New Hampshire, and nothing else except for conflicting reports. And there have been so many sightings. The latest sighting, the Back Lake sighting. We'll get into that at a in another episode. But if subscribers wanna read into that, it's Pittsburgh, New Hampshire, uh sighting on, on Back Lake. There's that and there's the Castro case in Ohio, where the girls have been in this house in a neighborhood for ten years. That's the amount of time that Moore's been missing. Slightly less, but When they found them, it was the same amount of time that Morrow was missing. So it really hit a nerve with the people following this case because all those people who had been convinced that she was dead suddenly think, wow, if this guy in Cleveland can do this, he had three females in there for 10 years. And the things he did to those girls, no one noticed. It was in a neighborhood like you and I live in, and no one noticed. You try to back off from this case, and a story like that comes up, it makes you think about it. The back lake sighting makes you think about it. The trip to Canada makes you think about it. It doesn't let you forget about it.
0: Something I forgot to mention here. A friend of Mora's named Liz received an email from Mora stating that she wanted to see a Dane Cook performance on February 12th. Well, that date is after she went missing.
1: So Maura emails her friend Liz about seeing a show three days after she actually goes missing. Emails her, right? So there's a documented record of it? Yeah. So what does that tell you? Does that tell you that she actually wants to go see the show, or does that tell you that she wants some record that... She had made plan that there was no plans to disappear. That'd be pretty clever. If you want to disappear and you want to make it look like you're not planning on disappearing, someone can pull up that record and say, no, she'd been planning on going to this Dane Cook show with me.
0: Okay, so Maura gets gas and hops back in her car, and she spins out, maybe because she was drinking some of that Franzia wine out of a Diet Coke bottle, and in fact, probably... That was the case. The, uh, it is on the police report that the officer found a Diet Coke bottle, and it smelled like red wine. And there was red wine splashes all over the ceiling of the car, the interior of the car. I think it's safe to make the assumption that Mora was drinking red wine. So she may have crashed the car because she was a little buzzed, and she crashes into a snowbank. Is that right, Lance?
1: So if you don't mind, I just want to read from the accident report under the uh, gist of accident what the investigating officer reported. Uh, I don't want to give his name at this point. Uh, I'm going to refer to him as either the responding officer or investigating officer. So he says at 7.30 on February 9th, he responded to the report of a car into a tree. When he arrived, he noticed that... The above vehicle was parked facing west in the eastbound lane of the Wild-Amanusik Road, which is Route 112. Reported the vehicle was locked. There was no one in the area. He spoke to a witness who told him that there was a young female behind the wheel and there were no other people in the vehicle. He spoke with the female who told him not to call the police. Now, when I say he, I don't mean the investigating officer. I mean the person that the investigating officer interviewed after, who, by the way, was Butch Atwood. Evidence at the scene indicated the vehicle had been eastbound and had gone off the roadway, struck some trees, spun around, and came to rest facing the wrong way in the eastbound lane. The driver's side of the windshield was cracked, and both front airbags had been deployed. In plain sight, behind the driver's seat of the vehicle, he could see a box of Franzia wine. He could also see red liquid on the driver's side door and ceiling of the car. He made a search of the roadway in the area of the accident. He was assisted by fire, EMS personnel, and a resident of the area. The driver was not located. A later search of the vehicle indicated the driver was Maura Murray. When the vehicle was towed from the scene by Lavois, he recovered a Coke bottle that contained a red liquid with a strong alcoholic odor. This report was written. The date of the report was uh, the 15th. We went into that in a previous episode. By the time this was over, it was like five days later. Um, the whole police report shows you um, shows you where the car was, uh, was hit, how it was parked. Uh, really fascinating stuff if you can find this online. Um, we, we would have a link to it from our website as well. If you want to go to our website and check that out, there's also the dispatch log from the Haverhill Police Department. At 727, Faith Westman called in and reported a vehicle in the ditch right on the sharp turn after the old weathered barn. She was not sure if there was any person injured, but can see a man in the vehicle smoking a cigarette was eastbound on Route 112, but ended up westbound in ditch facing west. So the first report that comes in at 727, Faith Westman says that she saw a man in the vehicle smoking a cigarette. And as we mentioned in our earlier episodes, Faith later said that she might not have been correct about that. All I'm doing right now is just telling you what the earliest reports were. And sometimes you have to go back to the earliest reports to actually get a glimpse of what the truth is. I'm not saying this is the truth, but this is as close to the actual event as we can get.
0: Right. It is very interesting. I mean, I know we touched upon it in our introduction episode, but, you know, memory works in interesting ways. You can convince yourself of things as time goes by, but usually the first thing that you think or see or say that you saw is the right thing is actually what it was and i know that's throwing a complete loop into this story that there was a guy smoking a cigarette in the car sitting next to mora that's crazy i mean based on everything else we've said on the show that's completely different you know we don't know exactly what happened but that stands out greatly as something that you know we'd have to explain. I mean, wh- okay, he- here's a good question. What are the chances that that's true? Are the chances that that's true any greater or worse than she got away for 11 years and has been living a different life or she was abducted by an opportunistic killer?
1: Well, that means that there was a, an, an accomplice who hasn't said anything. Right. I just find it I yeah, you can look at something and you can see something one way and then upon reflection realize that's not how you saw it. Correct?
0: I think so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: What gets me about this is that it's not this is the actual call. This is the narrative of the call. It's not I saw a person in the car smoking a cigarette. It's, I can see a man in vehicle smoking a cigarette.
0: Yeah, it sounds pretty specific.
1: Right? Right? And I'm not trying, like, I'm not suggesting anything. I'm actually reading a police log. And it says, unknown if person injured, but can see a man in vehicle smoking a cigarette. That's that's very specific. That's somebody saying, I see a man in the car. Yeah. Moving on from that. Well, wait, wait. Before
0: Before we move on, if there was a man in the car next to her... And we don't know who it is, then it could have been anyone. So, who are the people around her, and do they smoke cigarettes?
1: Like the track crew, I'm sure the track crew are like ripping two packs a day. Right?
0: <laughs> I I wouldn't bet that Mora's <laughs> track team is uh, is a bunch of chain smokers. Do we know if her dad smokes cigarettes?
1: I have no idea. It's a great question.
0: Interesting. I don't I don't know that it's that it goes anywhere.
1: Yeah, I don't know that it goes anywhere either because it was kind of put down a little while later when she took it back and said, you know, it might not have been somebody smoking a cigarette. And then people have speculated that it was uh, the the red light on the cell phone when she was calling AAA for help or when she said she called AAA
0: for help. And I I do have to say, I think it it was a Samsung phone she had. And uh, if I remember correctly, there were flashing red lights on that phone. I think today... Um, I think you're hard-pressed to find a phone that flashes red at any point or it has a red light on it if you're on the phone. I know an iPhone, when you hold it up to your ear, it goes blank, so there's no light whatsoever emitting from it. But I believe the old Samsungs back in 2004 did have a red light flashing.
1: Sure, and you can look this up, and we'll have links to the picture of her cell phone as well. You can look it up. It's a a Samsung phone. It's pretty popular for its time, and yeah, when you flipped it open uh, and you made the call, right on the corner there, it had the red light.
0: Yeah, and I will say, I just want to add that um, I'm not a smoker, but I'm not so sure that the first thing I do after an accident where my friend is likely panicking, maybe because she's drunk, I don't think the first thing that I do is light up a cigarette and sit in the car.
1: Light up a cigarette and, yeah, contemplate what just happened? Right,
0: no, I don't think I reflect on what just happened.
1: No, I'd be out of the car. I'd be out of the car trying to figure out what to do.
0: Even if I was a smoker. Yeah. I, it wouldn't even occur to me. I, I mean, I would think, yeah. Yeah. I mean,
1: like, smokers wouldn't think that. Right. You know? Like, boy, it's time for a well, No, I
0: mean, maybe, maybe they would, honestly. I mean, you know, that's probably, like, if you're an alcoholic and you get into a car accident, the first thing I could see you saying is, man, I could use a drink right now. Uh, or really any kind of addict, I think. You could say that. But I think a cigarette is a little bit more of a reflective moment. You know, you do, you don't, people don't like to rush cigarettes. You know, they like to uh, stand there for five minutes or so and enjoy it. Am I wrong?
1: You're not wrong, but the cigarette guy has been eliminated from the equation a long time ago. And even if he was real, who's to say that he wasn't smoking a cigarette before the accident – Something just occurred to me. Both airbags were deployed. That cigarette would be gone, long gone.
0: Yeah. If if they were if he was smoking it while they were driving. Beforehand. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So he would have had to have lit so it that up does
1: afterwards. Mean that, great. Yeah. That does mean that if there was somebody smoking a cigarette in the car, they lit up after the accident.
0: Yeah. Pretty unlikely, I would say.
1: Pretty unlikely. I'm starting to think that this was a reflection, but it is very it is strange that she sees a man and the, the... first thing she says is she sees a man in the vehicle smoking a cigarette. Another witness to the accident was an older gentleman. His name's John Murat. He lived on the north side of the street. Uh, since the trees were bare at the time, he was able to see the car. And he was able to see the woman. He was able to see Mora from the window of his kitchen. In his eyewitness statement, he says, I saw her get out and walk around the car. When I looked out again, the police were there. She was gone. I don't know what happened. Only man who knows is up there. And then he points to the sky. I thought that was interesting. There were several witnesses to the accident, and she just seemed to disappear into thin air the second one of them turns around. Next on the police dispatch log at 743, the Butch Atwood residence calls in and reports a female, no one's injured, but the females shook up. So that would be a difference of 14 minutes. This leaves exactly the amount of time that this would have happened, right? So Faith sees the accident, looks out, sees enough of it to comprehend that there's a man in the vehicle smoking a cigarette, turns around, calls the police. Butch pulls up, talks to Mora, talks to her enough to realize that she sh- she's all shook up over the accident she says don't call anybody i already called AAA. he goes back into his house and at seven forty-three, fourteen 14 minutes later he makes the phone call or his wife makes the phone call the phone call comes from the atwood residence so that's not a lot of time right that's not a lot of time for all of this to go down and then by the time the police units show up they're well,
0: gone yeah not a lot of time for what to go down like um a guy who was smoking a cigarette in the car, not a lot of time for him to duck behind the car when Butch shows up? Exactly. Okay, or not not a a lot of time
1: time for
0: Butch to abduct Mora.
1: Right, and not a lot of time for Mora to run into the woods.
0: Well, I'd argue argue there's plenty of time for that.
1: At 7.54, the... Be on the lookout for a female about 5'7 on foot victim of crash was put out. Mm -hmm. So at 7.27, the accident, the first call happens. At 7.54, the be on the lookout was put out.
0: And the be on the lookout only states about a female. It doesn't mention a man.
1: It does not mention a man. In the time frame of 27 minutes, the call goes in. Butch talks to Mora, reports seeing Mora. And when he drives away to make his call back at his house, which is within distance of the of the crash site, he makes the call at 7:48. All of these scenarios and speculations take place. 1. She runs off into the woods never to be seen again. 2. An opportunistic kidnapper killer finds her and does what he does with her. Three, she has someone pick her up who's been following her in tandem and they drive off, and no one reports that car again. Everything that happens is had to have happened with precision, right?
0: Absolute precision.
1: There's no room for a mistake here. You're looking at the time frame here 27 minutes. Yeah. Before the be on the lookout for a female about 5'7 on foot, victim of crash goes out. And that's not even, that's just when the lookout goes out. So police show up before that, and they realize that there's no one in the car, and they realize that it was a female about 5'7". So we're not even talking 27 minutes. We're talking less than that. And this is just reading from the police narrative here, the police log. So our investigating officer, our officer who responded, has already determined that this, this is a female, about 5'7", knows her name, knows that she's gone. So we're only talking a matter of about 15 minutes for this plan to perfectly work or this opportunistic killer to happen to find her. Overall, the police responded pretty quickly, and the police had to be on the lookout for a female pretty quickly of, 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 of the actual accident. So the last thing that I have right now on the police log at 850 is that all? Emergency respondents are clear of the scene. Lavoye has the vehicle, and the last bit of this dialogue, the last bit of this narrative, reads: "Any luck locating the party, or has she shown at the cottage?" Partner working on will have contact to you. So they kind of they kind of write in shorthand here. I believe the cottage is... Uh, let's look into that. The last I heard the cottage was... Um,
0: Isn't it in was, reference to MapQuest directions that were found?
1: That was something that was speculated on. Um, that is something that we're going to look into a little bit more. So we just read a little bit of the, uh, the police log and the efforts that the uh, police department put forth in the area up there the night of the accident. The next time we get together and... And, and do this and have another episode, I'd like to talk about Fred's letters to the governor of New Hampshire, John Lynch. He writes a couple of letters to the governor of John Lynch. The most uh, damning one was written on February 9th, 2005, uh, the one-year anniversary of Moore's disappearance. He writes to the governor and is astonished by how shoddy the police work was. But I just read the, the narrative of the night. I just read that the Be on the Lookout was there in place within the hour of her going missing. So something's going on. A year later, he writes to the governor and says uh, no one was questioning neighbors who lived 100 yards from the site until 10 days had gone by. And only after his family and his friends had spoken to these people and expressed our shock about it to the police. It's a, it's a very interesting letter that I like to really get into. I've read it a few times. I really don't know what to think about it. And I don't know what to think about the communication between Fred and the, and the police, the, the people who responded to the, to the accident that night, what was expected of them. What is expected of you when you respond to an accident where it's kind of clear that a a young female has seemingly drank too much and, and driven off the road and is probably hiding in the woods? Like, where's your urgency level, you know?
0: Wasn't there also a red SUV that was spotted circling or turning around?
1: We'll get into this. There's uh, some police reports of a red pickup truck in the area, some calls in about a suspicious vehicle, but this is by no means to indicate that someone was suspicious was cruising the area. This could very well be just putting together pieces of a police report that don't belong together. It could be. It could be. Just wanted to thank everybody for listening to this. It's it's starting to get interesting at this point. Wanted to thank you for the comments. Wanted to thank the people who send us uh, corrections. Any errors that we make, keep those coming. If you have any information, keep it coming. Um, Good, bad. Otherwise, we've received a lot of otherwise. And we'll get to you guys too. So uh, just wanted to thank everybody for paying attention to this.
0: Next time on Missing Mora Murray we have true crime author James Renner on.
1: I think Maura Murray was a sociopath. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
0: A laundry? Ooh, a book club.